Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Saturday, October 26th, the day after the Canucks blow a 5-1 lead to the Washington Capitals and fall in the shootout by a 6-5 final score. Yes, hard to believe that uh, that is the outcome that we saw last night. Uh, especially hard to believe, I suppose. Uh, this is what I love about Twitter lately, uh, is that, of course, uh, <laughs> you get these tweets that pop up in your timeline because of, the, like, the algorithm or whatever, like, 20 hours after the fact. So when you open the app on your phone, you just see all the stuff from yesterday that makes no sense anymore. And there were so many Jim Benning supporters just taking a complete victory lap about what an absolute stud their general manager is for putting together a team that's just dominating uh, the Stanley Cup champions from two years ago. Hello, how happy must he be? How proud must he be? Uh, it didn't end up that way in the end, unfortunately. And nobody's going to eat any crow on those tweets suspiciously. Look, I admit when I'm wrong. Uh, it's too early to be making declarative statements one way or the other about how you feel about this team. But uh, it was, look, it was a fun game. Ultimately, in the end, even though they lost it, even though the way they lost it was crushing, disappointing, that was a, an extremely fun hockey game to watch. If you went to that game, if you had tickets to see that game, uh, you definitely got your money's worth as far as entertainment value goes. And and kind of a an odd one as far as how the Canucks lost it as well. Not just that they gave up, you know, I think it was four goals in eight minutes or something like that. You know, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the... Exact math on that. You'd think I would do the research, but hey, uh, <laughs> I've got a lot to cover today. Uh, not just that they did that, but they that the Capitals won without getting any key offensive contributions from their top line or from the, the league's leading scorer in John Carlson, save for uh, Nicholas Backstrom winning the game in the shootout. Uh, they got almost no contributions at all from Alex Ovechkin because... He was just smothered every time he was on the ice, whether it was Alex Edler or whether it was uh, Tyler Myers who was being paired against him. It depended on who was on the ice at the time. Myers, uh, 23-12 in ice time on the night. Alex Edler, meanwhile, 27-03, of course. Five minutes of overtime uh, factors into that quite a bit, I would imagine. But, you know, we talked about significant amounts of ice time for Alex Edler over the last couple episodes here and how that cannot be a sustainable trend for this team over the long run. Uh, you know, for all of his faults, he was not the reason that his team lost this one. Uh, in fact, he was a plus two on the night, being relatively hard matched against Alex Ovechkin throughout. He he did a good job of shutting down Alex Ovechkin. And you know what? I'll even say Brandon Sutter did a good job at times of being matched against Alex Ovechkin. Uh, just really stood him up at center ice at one point halted a Capitals rush. There was all kinds of talk coming into this game all week long about, you know, Alex Ovechkin is one of the marquee stars in the National Hockey League. He's one of the guys that people shell out money to go and see, and you're going to get your money's worth every time you go and watch him. Uh, if you went to this game specifically to see Alex Ovechkin, I don't think he made much of an impression on you. That's not even because, you know, he was being shut down the entire time uh, by Edler and Myers, depending on who it was on the ice going up against him. I just didn't feel like he was particularly engaged in this one very much uh, either, ultimately. 
Um, and even as they stormed their comeback, it was all depth guys doing the uh, the damage for the Washington Capitals. Some weird things in this game as well, if you just try to read it as far as plus minus goes, because Quinn Hughes finishes the night as a minus four, despite an incredible rush to set up Brock Bester's goal in the first period to tie the game 1-1. He was going end-to-end, cutting through the entire Capitals lineup all by himself to set up Bester on the doorstep. Uh, that was a power play goal, of course, so he did not get a plus out of that, but he still finishes as a minus four. And I did not think he was uh, a reason that the Canucks lost this game. Meanwhile, on the flip side for the Capitals, plus four was Radko Gudis, which makes almost no sense to me at all. Gudis looked terrible in this game. Uh, you know, I commented when the uh, Capitals were up, or rather when the Canucks were up 5-1 to one before the Capitals mounted their comeback, speaking of tweets that did not age well, uh, that, you know, as as good as the Canucks looked in the early stages of that game, certainly in the second period, the defensive depth of the Washington Capitals was appallingly bad. And I stand by that. I thought Radko Gudis was terrible in this game. Uh, just abysmal. Uh, John Carlson finished the night as a minus three. I didn't think he was that bad. So, you know, kind of a weird night as far as plus minus goes. That just goes to show that you cannot count on that stat for anything because I thought the real goat of this game from a Canucks perspective, yes, as much as people want to point the finger at Travis Green or Jacob Markstrom, there are certainly criticisms to be levied at Travis Green after this one, but I do not hang this on Jacob Markstrom. Uh, Even if it is his fault, I don't think there's any sense in being mad at him over it. Uh, But before I get to that, we'll we'll table uh, Green and Markstrom for a second just here. Uh, I do want to focus in, however, on Chris Tanev, who I thought blew coverage in a number of places. The opening goal uh, that got the Capitals on the board early in the first period, about three and a half minutes in, scored by Evgeny Kuznetsov, starts because Chris Tanev cannot clear the zone. Uh, but it is compounded by a second error on top of that where uh, Tanev is not the only one who cannot clear the zone. Michael Furland with just a boneheaded play trying to get it up out the middle. It gets picked off. Uh, and Furland, Furland has not been good. Like, at what point do we start to wave the red flag? I know we've had this conversation multiple times over the course of this week. I'm going to say the time is now. It is really time to start being concerned about what Michael Furland is because this is a guy who is making $3.5 million a year for the next three seasons after this one from this team and has thus far showed absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't even get the impression that he's you know, very smart as far as hockey IQ goes. He seems like just an up-and-down player. Uh, you know, I, I I wonder who has a better hockey brain between him and Jake Vertanen. And Vertanen is always a guy who gets brought up as someone who has all the wheels, has all the tools in the toolbox, but might not have uh, the, the blueprint, I guess, to put them all together. So uh, I, I am troubled. I am deeply, deeply troubled by what I am seeing out of Michael Furland right now, but I'm also deeply troubled by what we saw from Chris Tanev uh, last night as well because just a lot of blown spots, a lot of blown coverages. I thought he was responsible for a number of the goals that the team surrendered over the course of the game, especially as the Capitals got let back back in it and uh, you know when we are coming off of a a week where the talk is that they're going to extend Tanev and trade Stetcher and they're gonna you know play Chris Tanev upwards of 23 minutes a night over the course of this season I got big question marks about both of those plans because 
you know what, as much as I don't want to compare them against each other all season long, you put Troy Stetcher on the ice for some of those goals, I don't think we are seeing some of the defensive lapses that we did see in the end. And uh, maybe we do. Maybe it was just destiny that the Capitals were going to storm back in this one. But I did not think Chris Tanev helped his team's cause on this at all. And even if his own personal plus-minus was not affected by it as he comes out as a dead even on the night, his defensive partners certainly was, as Quinn Hughes, as I mentioned, a minus four. Now, if you want to blame Jacob Marstrom for this one, I understand the sentiment. There were certainly uh, a couple of soft goals, a clean point shot that actually may have deflected off of Bo Horvat's stick on its way towards the net. Uh, one of the two goals that was scored, of course, uh, to tie the things up late in the, uh, I guess, midway through the third by Michael Kempney. Um, Kempney's second one in particular um, was a, a point shot that I thought was deflected up maybe off the stick or the body, something. Bo Horvat caught a piece of that as it changed directions in front of uh, Markstrom. But, you know, the the, the real stinker. Uh, as far as goals go in this game, is the Lars Eller shorthanded goal as Garnett Hathaway, uh, with a slow motion pass out of the corner, finds Lars Eller right up front. Eller cannot be tied up. He just pokes the puck right through the five hole. And look, we'll, uh, I'll address the criticisms of that goal in just a second. If you want to blame Jacob Markstrom, though, Jacob Markstrom agrees with you on that. Let's hear from the Canucks netminder as he's asked post-game if this one uh, was a disappointing result for him. I think we all know the answer to that one. Yeah, really disappointed. What do you think the momentum shifted? Was that the end of the second, or do you think it started with the shorthanded goal in the third? Uh, I mean, we played a great game. They, I think they had seven shots in the third, and I led in three goals. I got to be better. The team played great. End of story. I'm not even going to go into details. I'm too upset right now, but if I just play okay, we win this game. The guys score five at home on a Friday. Great crowd. Can't do that. What anything you can take from this and build going forward? Me personally, no. The team, yes. Keep playing the way we play, and we're playing great. Markstrom has a tendency of... Um I don't know if self-deprecating is not the right word because that implies that he's making jokes about it. He just gets very down on himself, and maybe that's a good thing. I know some people want accountability uh, from a goaltender. I feel like he owns it too hard, though. Uh, he Maybe he feels like he's taking some of the weight off of uh, losses from his teammates when he does that, but I don't know. I, I, I you know, I... I never like to hear the guy get too down on himself, and especially with what he's going through right now. This is why I'm saying do not blame Jacob Markstrom for this one. He's, he has stolen points from this team in the past already. Already this season, he has stolen games for them. He certainly stole one against the New York Rangers earlier this week. And look, the Washington Capitals just did exactly to the Vancouver Canucks what Vancouver did to Detroit earlier this week. They only played well in a third period, and that was enough to win them the game. Now, the Canucks built up a bigger lead uh, than the Red Wings were able to on the Canucks. But, uh, you know, regardless, the Wings were able to dig themselves out of this one, and uh, you have to give them some credit for that. Uh, you also have to uh, acknowledge that Jacob Markstrom has gone through a very, very difficult last couple weeks. We don't know the full details, but we do know that it was a serious family emergency that required him to return home to Sweden, and that has probably been very mentally taxing on him still right now, because even though he's back with the team, I don't get the impression that this situation is resolved. We don't know what it is, but when a guy 
has a difficult game and seems like mentally he just didn't have it for 20 minutes of one game. When I look at the body of work that he's put in so far this season, when I look at what he has already done for this team and will continue to do beyond this night going forward over the rest of the season, I think we can all agree that, yes, sure, that goal that came in slow motion, the Lars Eller shorty. Look, Corey Hirsch was saying multiple times on the broadcast last night that as a goaltender, when things come at you at off speed like that, it's tough to react to them because you uh, are kind of having to react in slow motion as well. Your instincts are telling you that things should be moving faster than this, and it's hard to kind of break pace in the middle of a game and have a quicker read on the way things are going. You would think something happening slow like that would make it easier to tell what's happening, but Markstrom's not the only guy who blew it on that goal. I'm not even sure who the Canucks defenseman in front of him was who had the opportunity to tie up Lars Eller and make sure that goal didn't happen, but that didn't happen either. So, you know, plenty of blame to go around. It's not entirely Jacob Markstrom's fault, even if he wants to put it all on himself right now. Another Canuck, however, who had some interesting comments post-game, uh, spoke with Sportsnet 650 after the game. It was Jay Beagle asked if this one will be a learning experience for this club. 100%. Yeah, no, it, it is a learning experience. Just like I said with, um, you know, the Rangers, it was the same kind of thing we talked after the game when they made their push in the third that... Um, to trust it. You know, it's something that uh, is learned. It doesn't just come, especially with a bunch of new guys. Um, you know, we obviously are disappointed with the loss tonight and not happy with it. We've already had a meeting. We addressed it. Um, it's things that we have to, to learn from and get better as a group. It's it's not just one guy. It's, it's everyone. We have to make sure that we stick to our system and that we stay on teams and we stay on our toes. And... Um, you know, continue to go after them because when when teams raise their level, we also have to raise our level, and you saw that today, and we kind of saw it against the Rangers too. In the third period, they raised their level, and we kind of stayed the same. So we have to make sure that we learn to raise our level and put teams away, and, and that's a, uh, you know, that's something that is learned. Like you said, it's it's something that uh, you only have you go through it, and then that's how you learn from it. So it's something that we're going through, and we have to make sure that uh, that we learn from it, and um, you know, moving forward. Saw some snide remarks last night on Twitter about that quote from Jay Beagle that uh, it was all cliches, it was all you know boilerplate stock answers uh, from a guy trying to put a positive spin on things. I think that's honesty, and I do like hearing the fact that they already had a team meeting immediately after the game to talk about the way things went wrong and the way that it was similar to how things nearly went wrong for them in New York. But look, this is... This is, uh, you cannot point at the New York game and say, how did you not already learn this lesson? Because it is completely different circumstances. Uh, the New York game is the second half of a back-to-back. -back. That was a team that was simply, the Canucks I'm saying here, gassed against the Rangers in the final frame on Sunday uh, in New York. Versus on Friday night, you know, this is a, a Capitals team that was gassed having played the Oilers the night before that decided to put in the effort finally in the third period these are not the same situations uh, the Canucks should have as Jay Beagle said been able to ramp things up been able to take their game to another level but that's sort of been a problem for the team throughout the entire season is that we haven't seen that top gear from anybody really save for Bo Horvat against Detroit save for Jacob Markstrom and several stellar performances already throughout this season I was kind of marveling at the fact that they were up 5-1 not just because they got two goals from Tim Schaller which that might never happen again for the entirety of the season, but maybe it will. He scored two goals against Dallas last year as well. Uh, who knows? 
Tim Schaller seems to score very well against Dallas. In fact, maybe he will be able to do that again. Regardless, uh, that kind of derailed my point. They got a goal from Brock Besser, and they got a goal from Elias Pettersson uh, to help build that lead early. But neither of those goals were necessarily like the dominant, okay, yes, he's back. This is the guy I've been waiting to see. Uh, the Besser goal nearly came off of a broken play. The Pedersen goal, again, nearly came off of a broken play. It was a JT Miller blocked shot that left a loose puck kind of hanging uh, in the face-off circle just below the hash marks. Pedersen jumped on it and, and fired it home. And uh, the the Besser goal came off of, again, an incredible rush from Quinn Hughes to take it all the way up the ice. He was feeding into the middle looking for Brock Besser. That pass got and intercepted, but still made it to Besser regardless. That's two lazy defensive plays by the Capitals to allow those goals to even happen in the first place. And they weren't, you know, classic Besser or classic Pedersen goals. We haven't seen classic Besser or classic Pedersen thus far this year. This team has another gear. They can get there. They need to get there because they cannot be relying on on a goaltending performances like Markstrom uh, has been providing for them throughout the year to carry them all year long. Markstrom needs some help. As down as he is on himself after last night's game, as much as he puts the blame on himself, the guy scored five goals, even if he was just okay, as he said, they could have gotten the win. He might be right about that in the third period, but that cannot be the norm. And there is some cause for concern as well. Even if the Canucks had been able to win that game, even if they'd come out with a different result in the shootout, there is some cause for concern, I believe. Because did the Philadelphia Flyers miss the playoffs last year? Yes, they did, but they're still a good team. Did the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup last year? Yes, they did, and they've been off to a slow start thus far, but they are still a good team. If the Canucks had won last night, that would have been their three biggest wins of the year all coming in the shootout, which, yes, counts in the standings and is wonderful and all that, puts a big positive spin on the way the season has started. But it would be troubling to note that this team has not been able to come up with wins in regulation or outright wins in, in overtime, even wins that count, wins that come off goals that are scored in the run of play against the teams that uh, are are you know, significantly uh, better than them or perhaps even in the same league as them in the uh, case of a team like the Philadelphia Flyers. So uh, this team still has not had any major victories in regulation or even in overtime outright that you can point at and say, okay, this team is legit. This team is is what is, is, ex- is far exceeding what I thought they were going to be coming into this year. That hasn't happened yet. And again, as I've been saying all along, as I've said all season long, we are going to get those marquee performances from Elias Pettersson. Those are coming. You have to believe those are coming. You are going to get a marquee performance from Brock Besser. That is coming. When those things happen, maybe it will be a different story, but there is uh, certainly some frustrating feelings still kicking around after last night. That is to be sure. Some of those negative feelings pointed at the coach, Travis Green, for not using his timeout earlier than he did. And uh, I am certainly one of those people who thought the timeout should have been called immediately after the Lars Eller shorthanded goal was scored because how has Travis Green not seen this movie before, right? As fans, we could feel it coming. I think as they scored that goal to make it 
uh, four to, five to three rather early in the third period. A goal that came at the 157 mark when Vancouver was on a power play that was supposed to put the game away. Uh, it felt like okay, here we go again. Look, even when. Kuznetsov scored a second goal of the game to end the second period. You got the feeling that they might go into the room and come back fired up and have the kind of third, which is exactly what happened, exactly what the uh, Capitals were able to do. I think I called them the Red Wings earlier when I said they came back. Uh, I might be you know, mixing up my teams that wear red and teams that the Canucks played earlier this week. My apologies. But, you know, we have seen this movie before. It should have been no, no surprise that they were going to come back and do this. And I think if he wanted to take a timeout after Kempney made it 5-4, he might have thought, okay, it's just one more minute here until the TV timeout, and then I don't have to burn my T.O. if I need to get fresh legs out there in the final five minutes of the game here. And, you know, maybe he would have been criticized if, if he'd already used his timeout and a situation like that came up. Uh, that's not what happened, though. He did call the timeout after Kempney scored his second goal of the game, his third of the year at 7.41 of the third period, and that was too little too late, quite honestly. Uh, you could feel the wheels coming off this thing as soon as Eller scored the shorty, and uh, personally, I would have called the timeout right then and there. You don't even need to say anything. I don't even think Travis Green said anything when he did call his timeout. The fact that he used it at all is sign enough that he is telling his team, we need to settle things down, we need to get right, we need to trust our game, trust our system, like Jay Beagle said earlier, and uh, and stick with this thing right to the very end. If you clamp it down now, if you get it together and play the game that we know we can play, we can still win this thing. That didn't happen. The timeout was not used until it was already a tie game. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's such a small thing in the grand scheme. I don't think anybody is so furious with Travis Green over this. If you are going to be furious with Travis Green, if you do want to point blame at him, let's point blame at the fact that this second-line, third-line situation continues to shuffle up and down. They gave uh, Horvat the bum wingers on Friday night as he lined up uh, with Michael Furland and Jake Furtanen, Sutter got Pearson and Levo. So uh, they've swapped the the wingers uh, with the center there, hoping that the quality wingers will prop up uh, Brandon Sutter and that Horvat is good enough to fly uh, with the, the junk wingers in Furland and Vertanen. It did not work out. Look, if you're looking to stabilize the third line, if you're looking for a third line that clicks, and if you're looking for a winger that can consistently deliver the goods playing with Bo Horvat, I hate to say it again and 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 again on this podcast week after week, day after day, but Sven Berchi exists! Sven Berchi is in the AHL. Sven Berchi is a proven winger for Bo Horvat, and he is somebody who can bring some scoring punch and play defensive responsible hockey on a third line. He can do both of those things, stabilize the third line or play with Bo Horvat. Michael Furland has not shown the ability thus far to do any of those things. And no, you do not want to pull the plug on Michael Furland at this point, but you can scratch him for a game. Just let him sit out and watch things. You've got an open spot on the roster right now as well, having already sent down Adam Gaudet and not taken Antoine Roussel off of the IR. Bring Berchi up right now. I do not want to see this lineup get another kick at the can because this array of wingers... Uh, trying to play with Sutter and Horvat, God bless their souls. They are not getting it done. You need a fresh injection of life into this mix. You need one of these guys to come out and sit, watch for a game. You cannot put Louis Erickson into this lineup and think he's going to be a solution. You have 
to finally call up Sven Berchi. Uh, a couple of notes before we wrap up here for the day. Uh, Erica Branson already done in Pittsburgh. Uh, so much uh, schadenfreude to be taken from that. All those tweets and comments from the Pittsburgh media. Mark Madden in particular telling us that us fans in Vancouver are too stupid to even know what good hockey players look like anymore given how bad things have been here over the last couple of years. No, I think we knew exactly what was being sent Pittsburgh's way, and I think the Penguins found out a lot quicker than they could possibly imagine as well. That guy was picked up at the trade deadline last year and barely made it 10 games into the season this year before the Pittsburgh Penguins said, enough, we cannot do this any longer. They got back some junk player I've never heard of in a seventh-round pick. They were desperate to get rid of Good Branson, and uh, the Anaheim Ducks must be desperate as well to be bringing him in. Uh, other than that, a little uh, fun little note here. Vasily Podkolzin has been added to the Russian side for the Canada-Russia CHL series. I meant to comment on this when I had Corey Hergott on yesterday, but uh, we ran out of time. We talked so much about all the prospects down in Utica. Didn't even have time to mention the prospect who is over there in Russia. Uh, this will be a fun opportunity, I think, for fans over here in Canada to actually see Pod Colson play because these games are televised on Sportsnet. And it will be a good opportunity for Pod Colson to actually be in a lineup and play meaningful games because he keeps getting shuffled up and down this way, that way, every which way, and uh, winds up sitting out a bunch of the games that he's actually on the team in the KHL for anyway. So uh, it's it's not been a great season for him as far as deployment. I don't think it says anything about his development, but uh, good to see him get out of the, to this crew, and it's going to be fun to watch him as well. Hopefully it's more fun to watch the Canucks take on the Florida Panthers this week than it was to see them fall to the Washington Capitals. And uh, another correction I mentioned in the last game that I was pretty sure the Canucks were heading right back out on the road. No, they are at home on Monday to host the Florida Panthers. And uh, my mistake, because I usually judge by uh, whether games are home or away, by whether I'm working the broadcasts for Sportsnet, and I am working this one. My name simply was not penciled in to the schedule at that point when I was looking at it the other day. So, a little inside look at, I guess, the way things get scheduled here at Sportsnet 650, but uh, that's neither here nor there. My mistake. We got another home game coming up on Monday, and I will talk to you tomorrow to tee it all up. Might be joined by a guest. Who knows? Might have more topics to break down by myself from last night's action. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.